sometimes I wonder what you guys tell your families about me. It, you know, if you, I mean, if you do, some people, oh, sorry, some people um, um, probably keep their fandom life very, very separate from their real life, so I'm probably not, you know, the topic of conversation, I guess. It's just weird, um, and also, hi, Azure's dad, <laughs> from me and the Minions. It's just, it's an odd world we live in, right, where you're... Um, you have so many different kinds of relationships with different people um, online. And um, I remember, um, I'm going to date myself a little bit and just give you a brief glimpse of how old I am. Uh, I was in high school before basically the internet was a thing. I mean, yes, the internet was invented in the 70s, but it wasn't used the way it is today in any similar fashioned until the mid 90s so i remember when um internet and the first version of microsoft windows hit computers on the college campus that i was attending and um people were overwhelmingly fascinated by the internet um, and meeting people and chat rooms and games. It was just like this instant thing, this instant connection with the rest of the world that we hadn't had before and that people today take for granted. Uh, it's uh, I have friends all over the world, friends in Australia and friends in France and people who read my work from Africa, and it's just really crazy. It's really crazy that I know um, all these people online from all over the world, and they come to my site, and they send me emails, and um, it's just really, it's just fascinating to um, to live in the world we live in, and to see how connected we are. Um, and also to see honestly how disconnected we are because as connected as we are as an as a planet just overall just the the connections that we can create um in online environments there is this huge disconnect in society where people fear immigrants coming into their countries uh, we see that in Britain, um, we, we're seeing it in France, we're seeing it, oh Lord, how mercy we're seeing it in the United States. And it's just, it's really fascinating to live in a world where all this is going on and um, I feel like I'm talking in a vacuum because no one's speaking in the chat room. This is really weird. Uh, so I hope that you guys can actually hear me. Anyways, um, it's it's just this awesome thing, but also it's really disheartening to see, um, despite how much we can reach out to each other, that we don't. And that as much as many of us, many, many of us see a global community, there is a disheartening number of people who don't see a global community and have no interest in a global community, and they fear it, and 
it's it's driven by a multitude of things um religious beliefs uh racism other forms of bigotry uh, uh government divides it's just it's types of government you know i mean i do worry about the people in china behind the great wall the new one the great firewall uh and they're so isolated from the rest of us and they're not seeing the same news we see i mean you guys know that right they live behind a firewall so while they have the internet they don't have the world wide web and their content is heavily censored unless they are very wealthy and they get around the firewall um and the government looks the other way uh for political reasons and so the average person has a great deal of difficulty getting around uh the um the firewall in china so they're not seeing the rest of the world the way we are they're not exposed to different content the way we are and there ha- that has to happen in other countries too i've been censored in a whole bunch of different countries a lot of the fuck stands have censored me, have um, prohibited my site from loading um, because of the gay porn. Apparently, that's just too much cock for them. I'm, considering how cock-driven their society is, I'm I'm kind of surprised by that. But maybe it's the gay stuff. Uh, maybe. Just a little bit here and there. But it's just, it's it's really interesting to, um, to live in the world that we live in and to see um, all these different people on Facebook and on Twitter and on my site. And sometimes I go into my statistics and I see what other countries are, are reading my site. And it's always, so, it's just really fucking cool, to be honest. It's really, really cool to see um, people from um, different countries. And sometimes I do see a little China blip every once in a while um on my site so uh good for you (laughs) getting past the firewall i hope you enjoyed the gay porn i mean it's just it's fascinating it's fascinating the world we live in and how much it's changed since i was a very young woman and um i uh i remember the first chat rooms and they weren't even they were like they were kind of like message boards in that they were not live action. You had to refresh to get new content. So there wasn't like what we're, you know, see now in the chat room that's currently going on or or chatting on Facebook. It wasn't, um, you had to refresh to get responses from people. And and those were what the first chat rooms looked like. So it was basically like a big bulletin board, but it was supposedly not exactly live chat. Um, and it's just, it's really interesting. It's, it's really interesting the world that we live in and, and how um, things are uh, moving along and um, how far we've come. Also, how far we haven't come because I don't have a hoverboard. I don't have a hoverboard. Yes, we used to have electronic bulletin boards, but we also had things called chat rooms, but they weren't they were they weren't live like what we have now. They would have to be um refreshed to get responses from people. You would send a message and it would refresh to your content and there could be messages above you and messages after you and it had to be refreshed constantly to get new information. Um and of course there's there still are bulletin boards out there and message boards and I've considered adding a message board to Rough Trade for um 
author interaction, but I don't know how. I'm I'm on the fence about it because um, I do consider rough trade a work environment. Um, But I think also that sometimes you miss out because you're not interacting on a on a an intimate level with other writers and the challenge um, due to the content policy and all that stuff. And then when we're off challenge, we're not. If, if you're not on Facebook, you're not interacting in the Rough Trade group. And so it's just, you know, it's just something I'm thinking about and um, um, ways to do that and how that would work. And uh, Julie had a couple ideas, too. So we're kind of tossing that back and forth to see what we can build to kind of expand our community a little bit um, and how that would work. I don't know. It's just um, a curiosity. But the topic tonight actually comes into play because in my family um, – when you come from a very large family, um, uh, as I do in the South, um, you're fully expected to be entertaining. I mean, for, from like a small age, I mean, five, six years old, you're expected to be entertaining when you're in a family my size. And um, there are a couple of writers in my family, um, uh, and storytellers and uh, musicians um most of my cousins play an instrument of some kind piano the violin um the guitar lots of guitars um a couple of banjos i'm not gonna lie there's a couple of banjos in the family and a couple of fiddles if you want to call it a fiddle instead of a violin and they are played differently it is it is a different sound it is a different um thing going on um so there's just a lot of um entertainment value in my family and I grew up that way and one of the ways it sneaks into my writing is that I tend to give my characters um an interest in a musical instrument because I grew up that way and it's weird when I encounter someone who doesn't have an interest in a musical instrument I would actually love to play the violin and I would love to play the piano um I don't do either uh the violin I thought about lessons but I never did them in the piano um I have small hands and um playing the piano would be stressful on my hands and because I'm a writer uh I, I later I decided when I was started writing on a typewriter that I really didn't want to um, add a piano strain to that strain I'm already putting on my hands. But um, in my family, it's it's very rare that you encounter an individual who doesn't do something creative, whether it's painting or um, we have a couple of professional seamstress in our in my family. Uh, so it's just really you, you're you're expected to be entertaining or to be creative in my family. So when you meet um, one of my cousins, it isn't, what are you doing this weekend? It's 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 just weird to take out the lute. I, well, you know, I, really, I really would like to play an instrument. I just, haven't, I just haven't found the one that really, really, really inspires me yet. Um, but as a writer, I wasn't, um, it, it wasn't really expected that I would pick up an instrument. Um, my husband plays the saxophone. Um, uh, um, just, I mean, my cousin Stan, he plays several instruments. Um, it's just the, the kind of thing, you know, that, and that does bleed into my writing. I, I do kind of give um, 
um, characters in my works um, an interest in music or an interest in some kind of creative field because it's such a part of my family. And um, when you're a storyteller in a family like mine, you are required to be entertaining. And I'm not kidding about the requirement part. In my family, if we're in a group of people and someone sits down beside you, they expect to be told a story. So when someone sits down beside me, they expect me to tell them a story. Whether I want to or not. (laughs) It doesn't matter if they've heard the story a hundred times. And sometimes they'll say, hey, tell me the story about such and such. It's my favorite. And then I'll tell them the story about such and such. And sometimes I'll add new details. And they'll go, oh, they'll call me on it. Oh, that wasn't in the last time you told me. Well, stories change. Stories are living. Um, They change and they move and they grow. So, um, but yeah, it's just like, you know. You're just expected to be some kind of entertainment in my family. And I don't know, uh, and it's not really just my family. In the South, you are expected to be uh, in some way talented. It's just, you know, uh, you're going to tell a story, you're going to play a mute, you're going to play an instrument, you're going to do something to entertain the rest of us. Whether we have to make fun of you. <laughs> Oh, no, there is a whole different category for people who cook in the South. When you have a talent in the kitchen, you're like above entertainment. You're like, you're the one that gets entertained if you're someone who can um, throw out the kind of cake that makes people fight over. You know, it's just a different animal when you're... um, that kind of um, person in a in a in a large Southern family, like uh, you know, so and so is bringing cake to the house, and we're all like, "I'm going to that house because <laughs> there's gonna be cake, and the last piece of cake may or may not involve a fist fight because you know, or whatever." Um, a couple of, I guess it's been about five years ago. I was going to my sister's house, and um, we had a uh, her her kids had gotten um, Nerf guns for Christmas, and I said, okay. And I went and got myself a Nerf gun, like one of those ones that's like a submachine gun Nerf gun, and I loaded it up with bullets, and um, Nerf bullets, not real ones, and I walked into her house and started a Nerf war. <laughs> I was ready, but she's a traitor because she told her kids in advance I was going to do it, so they were like commandos. They were ready. It was like on from the very start. I got sniped twice by the five-year-old. It's just, it's it's the thing. It's the thing. Um, it's the thing. But when um, I got, um, when my older cousin got published for the first time, um, Everybody in the family got a copy of the book, even the ones who were not going to read it because it was dirty. And and it was just, you know, everybody got a sign. And when I had my first book come out, everybody got a copy. And um, I had an aunt who, when I started publishing ebooks, she freaked out because she couldn't get my books. So she went to Amazon and bought herself a Kindle so that she could buy my books. 
that she don't read. I know. She don't read them, but she buys them. And she bought a Kindle to buy the books she's not going to read. Now, I did teach her how to buy other books besides my own that she would read, you know, stuff like Love Comes Softly, which, by the way, when I was younger, was one of my favorite books. It's by Janet Oak. O-K-E, O-A-K-E, very, very good inspirational romance, lovely story Um, when I was 13. I couldn't tell you how I feel about it now because I haven't read it in that long. Um, I also talked her into buying the the Amelia Peabody series. Um, She's really enjoying that. Uh, But I do have crazy people in my family like that who bought a device they never intended to use to support me in my endeavors to read something, to publish something that she had no intention of ever, ever in a million years reading. So, yeah, it's a thing. I didn't even know there were book, there were movies made on the love books. I kind of want to read them and, and not. Now, they're saying OKE. Jeanette OKE, and the first book is called Love Comes Softly or something like that. Uh, I have never read and never will read Flowers in the Attic, but I do have a couple of cousins who were obsessed with that series. I don't like to think about why. But, um, you know, it's just the kind of thing that, that, that happens in, um, in families, uh, some families, not all families. Uh, it, it just, you know, that's my family. And so, um, you know, when you go someplace, whether it's a funeral, and I'm not kidding, whether it's a funeral or a family reunion or a funeral slash family reunion, um, you're just expected to tell somebody a story and you're expected to be entertaining about it. And it doesn't matter if they've heard that story a hundred times, they want to hear it again. But there's a rich tradition of storytelling in the South, and that could be part of it. It's part of the um, the experience of, of getting together with your family and, and being told a story or being told something new. Um, and, you know, sometimes me and my cousins um, will make up shit on the spot, like a round robin lie. A round robin lie of a story being told <laughs> like it actually happened. <laughs> and then unfortunately you'll be asked to repeat this sometime later in the future, so you do have to pay attention to what ball what ball face lie your cousin is telling so that you'll be able to tell that ball face lie later as part of the story. Um so oral tradi- yeah, oral traditions, um are important in in southern families, and um, you um, you learn good and bad things about your family history when when you're doing that. And um, my grandmother, one way she had of when you were running around too much in her house and she was tired of it, she'd sit you down at her kitchen table, and she'd be you know whether she was canning or she was always in the kitchen doing something, whether she was. Um, cooking dinner or cooking lunch or making cookies or she was always up to something in the kitchen and when she got tired of you running around like you were crazy she'd drop you down in a chair at the kitchen table and you'd have to tell her a story now my other cousin was very good at this she was very good at making up shit on the fly um natural born liar she could just 
she could spend an hour telling my grandma something that did not happen, but act like it happened yesterday. And it would be so convincing. And you would be like, uh, that, and you, you would start to believe her, even though I mean, even though I would know it was a lie because I was with her the day before. And there's no way in the hell that shit happened. But she was really convincing, and she she could have convinced me that we were both kidnapped by aliens. I, I she's just that kind of person. She's very um, a very convincing liar, and uh, she's a writer too. And um, and so. We would sit down at the kitchen table, and she would spin out this tale for my grandma, and it would just be full of fantastic shit that couldn't possibly happen. But she would say it with these straightest faces, like this, you know, and then aliens came. And I don't know how we did it, but we fought them off, and we came home, Nana, because you're our favorite. We fought off aliens at seven to come home to Grandma. <laughs> so, um, oh no, no, there was no Independence Day in that particular um, time period. That was in the early '80s when she was spinning those lies. Uh, it's just that's the kind of person that she was, and it remains to this day. She's actually very entertaining, and um, uh, and. It runs in my family, uh, and we can feed off each other, and it's really, really terrible when you get me and her and Stan in the same conversation because it's going to come out and be bad because, you know, we just kind of one-up each other over and over and over and over again, and... um No, I mean, my, she could sell ice cubes. In Antarctica, uh, she just really, really, she'd make you convinced you needed a refrigerator or a deep freezer if you if you lived in an igloo. I'm not kidding. There was just there's just something about her that she's just very, very good at it. Um, and she doesn't always use her skill, her her, um, her talent for good either. I I must admit, uh, but she's always very, very, very fucking entertaining. Um. <clears throat> We, uh, as children, um, we grew up this way, you know, and uh, telling stories, making shit up. And so it was no wonder that all three of us turned to, to writing um, as a hobby and for, you know, as a career, it, it, as it worked out. Uh, and I remember the first time um, Stan sat down with me and he said, I've done something and I, and I want you to look at it. I said, Okay. Because he was like 17, I think, at the time. And I thought, oh, my goodness. He's, he, and, he, and he hands me this, um, this artist tablet, a paper, not an, a tablet, like electronic device, but a, um, a artist, you know, the kind that have the wire and they're all blank pages, that really thick paper. And I thought, oh, great. He's drawn some porn, which I wasn't opposed to. Let me be clear. But I saw I was looking at porn, right? So I opened it up, and it's a graphic novel. And um, it was absolutely stunning. It was just really, really, really stunning. And I was like, where, what, what, where have you been hiding this? You know, where, where did this come from? And I just, you know, 
I guess that kind of deep talent kind of runs in our family. And um, it's always uh, not a surprise when I find out, like, for instance, that my mother wrote when she was younger and still does write. Um, She just doesn't let anybody see it. Uh, And um, that a lot of the stories that have filtered down through our family came from other, like, you know, it's just, um, they were made up too. (laughs) And then passed down as the truth, right? So (laughs) I could tell a story that was actually invented a hundred, like it was actually created 150 years ago in my family. And by the time it gets to my generation, it's treated as absolute truth when it couldn't be further from the truth. So it's really funny that maybe a couple hundred years from now, um, members of my family will be telling stories that me and my cousin made up as the truth. That's really fucking funny. That's hilarious. That's the kind of thing that, you know, it, it really, really tickles me. It, I, I find it very, very amusing that my descendants in our family are going to eventually tell stories that me and my cousin told um, like they're true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the craziness it's just the craziness that I live with and um, what I don't know so I really didn't have any kind of topic for this evening but um, I was just kind of sitting here bored and I am bored with my own work um, which is kind of um, sad I'm I'm bored with my own work right now Um, and I don't know what to do with myself really uh, as a result And and uh, it's really weird to be four days out from the challenge and not be in the mood to write because usually at this point I'm having to distract myself with other works in progress to not write on the challenge, to not cheat, because I get really excited about my ideas um, for the challenge. And I've been researching for my world-building challenge in November and I've done all my plot work and um, it's, I'm really excited about that project um, in a intellectual, but I'm also not in the mood to write it, which is really interesting because I thought I would be when I finished doing my research. Um, Cause I built a, um, a space AU, a space opera basically um, with Stargate characters and there's no Stargate and um, John's part of NASA and um, there's going to be Venus and, um, a suit with wings and um, sabotage and uh, a rescue. I'm just, I'm, you know, so the, so the plot's all worked out and it's really great and really interesting. There's going to be a conspiracy and, you know, <laughs> that's all. But I still, for the life of me, can't figure out my um, my plot uh, for uh, my Harry Potter story for my Sentinel. Uh, no, no wormholes. It's just plain old space travel. Um, uh, not plain old space travel, but um, just advanced space travel for the time period. And um, it, but it, should, it should be really interesting. Um, so it's just uh, uh, my world is entirely original um, in my own mind. I mean, obviously n- nothing's really original. I mean, there are no new ideas. Uh, so, but there's but there's no aliens. There's no ancients. There's nothing. That's just you know. Humans making their way in the galaxy, in the um, 
in the solar system. And um, there's a colony on the moon, and there's a um, a Lagrange Point station um, where Rodney is, and um, John is on a mission in um, on Venus. No, I actually I really enjoyed. Um, Mission to Mars, like Mark Watney, but I'm not doing an AU of of that or anything like it. No, it's it's all my own. Um, I I did actually consider doing an AU of um, the Mars thing, but changed my mind because I read a really awesome one called Man on the Wall, which I think is currently down for um, rewrites, and, and it was on AO3. Um, that was really great. Um, and I really enjoyed it. But John's not stranded on Venus. Um, he's actually will be back on his way home to Earth when it becomes clear that someone intends for him not to make it, um, and that the that the failure of his mission was planned from the beginning. So it's it's I'm really excited about it. It's really interesting, and um, I'm using fan fiction characters in an original setting, and um, I think it's gonna be really cool. And I'm gonna really enjoy that. Um, but that's for November, and um, of course it's John Rodney because that's pretty much all right at Stargate these days. Um, you know, from for my main pairing for my OTP. Well, McKay Shepard to the to the grave, people. I'll be going down with that ship. But um, so I would also like in the future I would like to do uh like a like a ship AU for for Stargate where maybe they're on a colonization ship bound for like maybe Earth has been destroyed and they're like they're on like a lifeboat. Basically, this, uh, so I'm just curious about that and um, exploring that concept and, and how that would work. And um, I have a few ideas, uh, but again, it would um, be me taking Stargate characters and dropping them down into an AU. Because one of the reasons I think that I kind of moved away from Stargate for a little bit was because I um, I kind of lost um, me and Canon. It's kind of hard to explain. I mean, I'm, I'm no longer enamored with the canon of Stargate, but I really enjoy the characters. And uh, I think that giving myself freedom to create entire new worlds for the Stargate characters would um, renew my interest in the Stargate fandom, if that makes any kind of sense. And um, I want to explore that and... Uh, I think that the AU for November is going to be a good one to do that in because um, I've read like six different books on space colonization and uh, and um, manned missions to Mars and to Venus and to colonizing the moon. Um, I read a really good book uh, that I forget the name of. I have it written down in my research. But I really, really super enjoyed it. Talking about uh, the differences um, – and um, just talking about the, the the dangers of space travel and um, what can happen go, and and what has gone wrong in in our past and um, 
it's really interesting. The, the first Russian in space, he uh, he had a, he had like a real super problem and almost died, but no one knew it for decades. And then like the first American spacewalk, or maybe the second American spacewalk, he uh, there was a problem in his suit, and he was essentially blinded. And he couldn't see, and he had to get back in the capsule blind. And it's just really, cu- really interesting, curious things that I that I read about that that happened in space exploration. Um, I find fascinating. I find all that very fascinating. So um, I kind of look forward to um, dip- dipping my fingers into that particular uh, mindset and and playing with it a little bit. And um, All that stuff. Where did my... Oh, I lost my studio for a little bit. Anyways... Um, So, you know, and... I think sometimes when you write fan fiction, you kind of get, you kind of get, I don't know, what's the term, what's the term I'm looking for? You kind of get stagnant, I guess is is the term. You get stagnant, and and then you're like, you're, uh, you don't know what to do with it. And you, and you don't know where to go with it, and then you get excited about a new fandom, and you move away from your original fandom. And that's the nature of a fan fiction writer, is that you move around different fandoms. Um, but one thing... Um, one thing I find kind of annoying in, in fandom is... Um, <laughs> hey, Robbie. Rob, Robbie's cat... Azure's cat's talking to us in the chat room. Um, sometimes you, uh, when you're um, in fandom for a long time, um, people uh, sort of get. I don't know how to say this. It's there's like this. Uh, like this judgment that you can't. Um, do anything original. And so when you present an idea, they they try to find out where you got it from. And so you shy away from doing original work and you kind of retreat back into the fandom to... um, to work it out. And it uh it, you know, it's just, you know, just to to avoid that kind of um and I don't want to call it an accusation cuz it's not an accusation. It's um it's just I don't know, it's fine. It's kind of frustrating. So you so, so you retreat back into familiar ground um to avoid questions that you don't want to answer about your process or about your work or you you feel like you need to defend your work. Um, 
and it hostile. You you start to feel hostile about the fandom if you're constantly defending your work or when someone's calling your character a Mary Sue. I've never actually had someone call one of my original characters a Mary Sue um, to my face. I'm sure they've done it, like, in private or to their friends or whatever, but I don't care. Um, But I I see that happening to to writers who kind of step out of the box, who step out – who step out of the uh, of the fandom and, and, and explore something new? They can. There's a lot. There's sometimes that there's backlash for that. Like the author who wrote NCIS, who made um, Tony a, a Navy SEAL, and people lost their fucking minds and drove her out of fandom. And it wasn't necessarily about her um, <laughs> about her ability, or it was just about her idea that they found her idea so offensive and that, you know, and it happens. It happened with Xanthan and BDSM world. A lot of fans found her work, um, the idea of it, just, just the idea of it, not her execution, not her writing style, not her characterization, but just literally the idea of a BDSM world was so offensive to people that they lashed out at her and drove her away. Well, when you are, one of the reasons why I wanted to explore um, this particular AU um, on Rough Trade when, when Jilly suggested it, um, and, and, and it was Jilly's idea. So if you guys get um, frustrated or upset during the challenge in November and you don't know what to do with yourself, and I'm only telling you this because she's not currently listen, listening, it's Jilly's fault. I'm just saying. Don't get mad at me. It wasn't my challenge. But I did find it personally very entertaining. So, but it's still Jilly's fault. <laughs> Uh-oh, she's chatting me in, in, in Messenger. I bet she's listening. <laughs> she's getting all the credit. She's getting all the credit. <laughs> but there is this um this uh this weird ass behavior in, in fandom that um if you do something too new or too outside the box, people lose their fucking minds. And so um it'll be really interesting to see how these stories in November are um uh received and as i said it's jilly's fault <laughs> she's currently on the radio she's like she's currently back on the phone now so she heard that part i'm not sure if she heard the other part where i blamed her let's ask her let's ask her if she heard did you hear I me blame you? Why you no i didn't <laughs> i uh I, I listened like the first 20 minutes and then i get this text says i need your help downstairs right now and i was like well okay <laughs> So I hung up and I went downstairs. (laughs) I was telling them how the idea for November was yours. So if they get frustrated during the challenge, they can blame you and not me. (laughs) Credit, not blame. (laughs) (laughs) They can credit you with their their, um, frustration. Yes, they they can credit me with their frustration all they want. 
<laughs> but um, I was also talking about how I was going to write uh, an, a, an original AU for my story and how I hoped that it would kind of re-inspire me for that fandom because I'm kind of disenchanted with the with the canon. And I've, I've really done all I want to do with the canon aspects of it. And um, I don't know. I'm just, you know, so, so I'm kind of hoping that writing a complete AU will will make me love the characters more again, better, longer. Well, <laughs> we, all, we, all, we all think that would be lovely. Um, you know, there, it's, uh, sometimes you do get to the point where you're like, well, I think I've told all the stories that I want to tell based upon things that happened in canon. And then from there, there's, you just, you just got to make up your own crazy. <laughs> Otherwise, you get super bored. Mhm. Well, we're talking about people who step out of the box and how fandom reacts badly to that. And I mentioned the girl, the lady, the woman, the, the badass writer who wrote Tony as a Navy SEAL. Mhm. And got driven out of the NCIS fandom. And every time she tried to put those stories back up, they would just follow her and harass the fuck out of her, and she'd take them back down. I don't know if she's listening. Or if you know her and she's and and you know of her or you know her email address and you're one of her friends or whatever, but you tell her that I would be happy and privileged to host her work and let somebody come at me. <laughs> we dare you. I don't. <laughs> no, that's not how that works, baby. But yes, yeah, I I would I would gladly host her. Um, just because it's bullshit. It is absolute bullshit. And it's not, like I was telling them before, it's not a reflection of her craft or or her work. It's just the premise itself. They were so pissed off about the premise itself that they lost their fucking minds. It's just crazy when people do that. It's just insane. I mean, I mind think, you, it's weird that they don't they don't lose their minds over stuff that I could legitimately understand people losing their minds over. They lose it over really stupid stuff. Like, for instance, if somebody had, if fandom had just reacted really negatively to the Winchester boys being paired together, I would, I'd get it. I would totally get it. I wouldn't support harassing an author, but I would get why they would fall into that. Problematic. Why right. Shannon would kind of go, wait, what, huh? What? No. But they don't. <laughs> no, no, they don't. They they absolutely have no problem with Dean fucking his brother. Uh, okay. Okay. You, you don't have a problem but with that. They, they have a problem when you take the designated victim and you do something badass with them. Oh, God, you know, that's actually, that's absolutely the truth. Because when I did it um, with The Awakening and... Um, the Sentinel fandom, they tried to, I don't want to use a charged word like lynch, but they 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 tried to make it difficult for me. But the problem became was that I wasn't deeply emotionally invested in the Sentinel fandom to begin with. And I, um, I was more involved in the Stargate fandom at the time. But now I don't really participate in any part of actual fandom. I'm just a fan fiction writer with my own website. So I don't care what fandom does. 
But I think when you're on an archive or you're on something like live on live journal or um, you, that you get there's a um, an isolation there uh, that comes from um, being part of the actual fandom, and you get um, deeply invested in the opinions of others. Or um, it seems like the the nexus of all fandom trouble these days seems to come out of Tumblr. And uh, I find that to be really bizarre because it's such a unidirectional communication vehicle uh, that it is so weird that so much um, vitriolic uh, content and and just opinions all seem to come back to things that have happened on Tumblr. I have a Tumblr. I barely know how to use it. I can reblog like a motherfucker, though. I've co- I've accomplished reblogging. Yes, reblogging and is about all I've managed to. My site auto and you know, posts to Tumblr um, on my behalf, um, but I don't read the the responses to my tumbles, whatever you call them. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'd call them tumbles. <laughs> tumbles. Um, I don't read the reblog notes. I don't read any of that for a couple of reasons. One, I find it difficult because the writing's really tiny, and two, I don't care. <laughs> but I think that comes from having my own site and my own community and um, my own kind of mini fandom in a fandom. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I'm a fandom. I'm saying that. Um, we have a fandom community, and it's very it's kind of isolated within a bunch of fandoms because we all come from different things, and we have Rough Trade, and we have our groups on Facebook. And so we're just kind of isolated a little bit in that respect. And so I don't have to deal with several fandoms at large. I'm not dealing with all the politics of the Harry Potter fandom um, or all the politics of uh, the Sentinel fandom or Stargate or... Um, any of that. Yeah, we have our own pocket universe. Um, <laughs> that's that's awesome. That that that's, that's per- that's perfect a perfect description. We have our own pocket universe. So so in a lot of ways, um, these days I'm very isolated from from fandom as a whole, and so I don't get that bullshit that I used to get. And part of it also, I think, comes from where did your fandom come from? Um, where did where where was your fandom's home base? Because uh, some fandoms never experienced this kind of thing. And what I mean by that Stargate. is, um, yeah. Um, but so like um, Stargate fandom, uh, as far as I recall, primarily existed originally. Uh, its primary homes were like Area 52 and Wraithbait, and there were there's a whole different there's a the culture of the archive in a lot of ways where where fandom is its biggest a lot of times is, to me is what i see as being the defining um culture of the fandom is kind of what the archive owners are like or what the archive culture is like or whatever so like for NCIS um NCIS primary stomping ground for a long time um, and its primary, where, where it is, has the biggest presence, is on fanfiction.net. So it's not surprising, by some huge degree, but it's like four times bigger on fanfiction.net than it is on AO3. And for a long time, there wasn't really any presence on AO3. 
for for NCIS writers. And so it's not really surprising that what you would see from disgruntled NCIS readers is abusiveness, because that's what they do on the pit, is they report people erroneously about they report their content when there's nothing wrong with it. They harass them. They read their stories even when they know they're not going to like them um, and leave abusive comments on every chapter. I mean, that's like the pit culture is the bad readership is sort of why a lot of authors avoid it. And the, the, the um, archive owners are okay with their the readership being abusive. So it sort of sets a precedent in fandom in the NCIS fandom, that it's okay for them to run out and be abusive. Uh-huh. And someone and said in the chat talk. room that sometimes people take shots at me, and the thing is, is if they do, I don't see them because I don't care. And a lot of people can say they don't care, but I really, literally mean that. I do not see that shit because I don't read my friends list on Live Journal. I don't read anybody else's Live Journal. I read less than half my newsfeed on Facebook because I get easily distracted and. Normally, I'm, I prefer writing than reading your posts about which martini you are. Um, <laughs> I don't care if you're shaking and not stirred, sweetheart. Um, I don't read Tumblr, like I said, because it's fucking tiny and I can't understand it. So unless someone comes deliberately into my space to insult me, I don't even see it. If they come to my site, I'm going to see it. If they come into my group... Um, on Facebook, I'm going to see it. If they send it to me in an email, I'm going to see it. Otherwise, I'm not going to see it because I don't care. <laughs> Which I know is probably arrogant. There's probably someone right now bitching on Tumblr about me as I speak. They're typing it out about how fucking arrogant I am not to be out there reading the fandom 24-7 so that I'll know how they feel about me. I'm double birding on my computer right now. You're getting two <laughs> birds right now, anonymous Tumblr person. And every once in a while, I'll answer questions on Tumblr, but that's just because Tumblr sends me an email telling me I have a pending question. <laughs> otherwise, I don't even log into Tumblr. And then while I'm over there, I'll like reblog shit that I see on my ba- on my wall. Because um, I just don't see it because I don't care what you think. But if you want me to know your fucking opinion of me, you feel free to use my contact form. I'd appreciate having your IP address. It'll make banning you from my site 100% easier. <laughs> we support this plan. <laughs> and of course, there's Zara Azkaban, that Yahoo group that fucking hates me, but they can all suck my ass. Oh, no, the wait, they might. about that is... The only reason you even knew about that, though, was because someone reported to you that they had posted your story up there. Right. I didn't even know they existed until someone pointed them out to me. Um, so all their butt hurt was over there, you know, twisting in the wind with me not even there to read it and to pretend to feel bad about their butt hurt. <sighs> but now I know about you, and I still don't visit. Except for that one day when I was really, really super bored and I went through your entire um, message list that had my name on it. I did a search for my name and I made a list of all the assholes in there that I could find that had email addresses that I could see. And I went over to my site and marked you all assholes and you can't read my shit. Uh, except for Aww. that day. Aww. So if you have a membership to my to my website 
and you go click on a new story and it tells you you don't have permission to read it, that's because you were in Zara Azkaban bitching about me and I saw it. <laughs> on that day when I went over there to bitch about you assholes stealing my work. Anyways. I haven't been back over there since. I maybe, maybe I should go over there. No, no, I won't. I'll just get mad. But you know, literally, no. I, I really, um, I don't care. I don't. And I, I feel really bad for writers who um, allow fandom. No, that's not the right term. I don't want to blame them for it. I feel. I'm upset on behalf of writers um, who fandom abuses so much that they can't take it and they leave. And it's not their fault. Um, And I'm not comparing them to me or to Jilly or to Lady Holder. um, Or, you know, just, just, and I'm not comparing them and saying that, you know, that, um, because the fact of the matter is, is I've never had an all out campaign launched against me. And I, I don't think Lady Holder has either. I'm not sure if Jilly has, um, but it. Um, I want to think that I could be strong and and handle it really well, and just tell them to fuck off. But maybe I wouldn't be. Maybe I would get kind of crushed under that kind of onslaught. Um, but I have faith my minions would avenge me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, how do you? I don't know how you deal with that. I mean. Have you had that kind of experience in fandom? Not, not to the degree that, that can happen now. I mean, the thing, fandom is so connected now that um, um, that it's almost impossible to escape from people. Uh, but you know, when I was when I had my first you know go around in fandom, um, I you know it was it was, there were. Uh, it was a little bit harder to kind of do some of the stuff that's being done now. It was a lot harder to have your own website and that kind of thing. Um, but someone did, you know, kind of stage a sort of a stalking campaign against me, and they did out my real identity, and um, it was it was bad juju, So, which is why I left fandom the first time. Um, mm-hmm. But that wasn't over abuse about my work. It was I felt like I had been targeted personally, and um, it was uh, – I just decided I, it wasn't wasn't something that I was prepared to deal with any longer. Um, I so. think if someone outed my real name, I would sue them. Hmm. No, and I mean that. I mean, I mean, I I literally mean that. So if you're, um, not that I think anybody who currently knows my real name would out me, but if someone came across my name and realized who I was. Um, and they outed me, um, it would do a great deal of damage to me professionally, and I would sue them. Straight up, I would sue them. They would they, they would be facing a civil lawsuit because it would um, really damage me professionally as a writer um, considering how much of a bitch I am um, in fandom. Um, and it's, I, I know it, it would just be my agent would probably fire me. 
Um, and I would sue the fuck out of them. I would sue the fuck out of them. <laughs> Damn. I think, you know, 15 years ago, um, the, the having people know your real name, it was a job issue is the reason. It was primarily a job issue because I couldn't mm-hmm. afford to have um, continue a public um, presence in fandom with it with my real name leaking out uh, because I just worked in a conservative industry and it just wasn't going to happen. So, um, but you know, things were different and this was, this wasn't exactly 15 years ago, but it was close enough to 15 years ago. Um, the internet, people weren't as crazy 15 years ago as they are now. I mean, yes, we had the internet obviously, but people weren't, weren't as, as enabled as, and as entitled and had such little control over the things they said. Death threats were not as common to people on the internet back then. And people just did not idly, you know, as I recall, threaten to kill people on a regular basis because of a disagreement. Um, no, I mean, I had someone threaten to cut my head off. And it's just people didn't do – people – I mean, people – obviously people did do that back then, but it wasn't done on such a regular basis. It wasn't done as lightly. And the thing is you never can tell if someone means it or not. You know, is this just an idle thing? show up you at your them? house and shoot you in the chest. Right, exactly. I mean, it, it – there – when you're looking at the internet, crazy, crazy, true crazy person who would harm you looks the same as someone who is just grandstanding. They don't look any different on the screen. So how do you know? You know. So, um, well, that cute little girl that um, that was on The Voice who was shot Christina and Grady. killed, yeah, the day before the Orlando mass shooting. Um, Christina, she um, she was being stalked online, and they don't even know if she knew it. And he was obsessed with her. And at some point, he decided he wasn't going to get her, so he decided to kill her. But he actually had plastic surgery to make himself more attractive to her. But then drove purposely to um, to the venue where she was performing, and she had Snapchatted about it and had asked her fans to come down and see her because she was excited, and he walked into that building and shot her in the chest. And the thing is, he probably didn't look any different online than a lot of other people in terms of how he presented no. himself. And you just can't tell. And And so... If you do something or you say things, and I am not in any way suggesting that it, people should be silent, but when you have to protect yourself when you are engaging people online, and you just, I just think that using, I mean, that they have that whole freaking series about how the internet ruined people's lives, uh, and you know, and even, even with, um, even with trying to, you know take good steps to ensure your anonymity is sometimes not even enough. So it's just, it's one of the things that in the world we live in, you have to be careful. You have to be very careful. And I can understand why some people would buckle under the pressure of being harassed online because you don't know what's a real threat and what is somebody just doing more of what they've seen other people do. Because I have had death threats. I've had three, what I would consider credible death threats, one was a beheading, one um, 
I assume man um, said that I deserve to be raped and murdered and dropped in a hole. And these were all over fandom issues, by the way. And then the third one was um, they hoped I died, and they gave a very specific way I should die that I won't repeat here because it's kind of trickery. Um, as if that second one wasn't, it's worse than that. Um, and I would hate for either any one of those individuals to have my real name. I mean, just imagine... My re- oh god, it's just—it's really—it's—it's it's nightmarish. It's—it's it's nightmarish to think about, because when you're outing somebody in fandom, you're not just outing them to their fans, and you're—you're you're outing them to people who hate them too. Because there are plenty of people in fandom who hate my guts. So if you came across my real name or my pet, or one of my professional pen names and you were so excited to tell all your friends about it, you would not only be telling your friends, but you would be telling people who, who genuinely hate me and probably even one who might want to kill me because they said it and they meant it. So, so, so keep that shit in mind when you're outing anybody. I mean, don't when, when someone's using a fake name somewhere. You need to assume that they're doing it for reasons beyond what you know. When I um, when my name was released, um, and, and I don't know how I never could figure out quite how far that had spread, but people were contacting me telling me they had been told, and that they weren't really they weren't passing on the information; they would hold it confidential, which I appreciated, of course. Everybody who told me that the rumor ends here, I appreciated that they took those steps to tell me. But I know that there were places that it got out. One of my fans showed up in my um, hometown and had got my phone number and called me and said they were in town and they came to see me. And if oh my likes, God! Did you, oh, if somebody, if, somebody, that, my if somebody who if somebody who likes me, and the thing is, I was not a controversial presence online, but if somebody who likes me would go to that length, what length would somebody who didn't like me go to? Oh God! Oh oh God! I would have freaked the fuck out. Did you freak the fuck out? <sighs> It is a freaky, freaky idea, which is why if you ever run across online somebody's real identity or they've made a mistake and accidentally posted something that is in contradiction to their identity that they have, don't pass it on to anybody. And tell them, say, hey, I think you made a mistake. Just say, look at what you posted. Fix this. And then keep quiet about it for all eternity. Um, you know, and and I, I will I will I will admit that I took I thought long and hard about coming back into fandom. Um, but one of the reasons why I don't participate in a whole lot of fandom communities is because of the experiences I had in the past. Uh, Because I don't want to go down that path of weirdos again. I mean, I used to go to um, fandom conventions and stuff. I don't do that stuff anymore. And if I did do it, I wouldn't use this name. Uh, 
Um, I just, <laughs> I'm just horrified by that idea. I'm just, I'm, I'm deeply horrified. Um, this is oh. And it, you know, the thing is, is, is that you can't, as much as you want to trust the people that you interact with online every day, um, some of them can't be trusted with that kind of information about you. And um, mistakes get made. They they might say the wrong thing at the wrong time and completely out you to the world and not even mean to do it. You know, I mean, so... And it can be dangerous. But I did want to ask you, um, do you think I'm controversial? (laughs) Well, you are more than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Because when she said that, and I wasn't a controversial figure online, I was like, wait, does she think I'm controversial? Am I? (laughs) I'm not one of the favorite topics on Zara Azkaban. (laughs) It's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Yet. (laughs) I think the controversy comes in mostly in your decision to lock your site down and to not accept yes. con- constructive criticism. I mean, even fan lore comments about – I mean, they don't actually call it – they may actually call it controversial about your 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 lack of um, – your, your, your expressly stated um, wish to not receive feed, constructive criticism from your – from your readership, um, I think between that and telling your, you know, your readers that that they don't have any right to tell you what to do or to give give their critique, and to make your um, site members only are sort of some people find it to be um, in their own entitled little little world. Like somehow this is, you know, we've talked about this before. Like somehow that negates their role in fandom, what you've done. And I think that it does, in, 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 at least in their minds, create a controversy. So um, it's not so much anything you've done or said is inherently controversial, but people's reactions to it have created a controversy. It's really curious um, that they are offended by my ownership of myself and my work. It is crazy. I mean, I don't even know what to think about that. Um and then you see, like, there was this professional writer who got land blasted because she talked about people pirating her work. And some reader um, sent this long-ass private message to her on Facebook telling her how she didn't have the right to be offended by pirating and how dare she even charge for something so ridiculous as the product of her own mind. I'm getting an eye twitch just trying to repeat that shit. Yeah. I, I well fuck you, lady. I don't even know who you are, but fuck you. But the thing is, is um, and I've said it before, and it's arrogant as fuck, and I'll say it again. I don't think most people um in fandom are qualified to give me writing advice. Is my fan fiction perfect? No, of course not, because there's not a professional editor on hand to take care of that shit for me. Um, I'm not paying one either <laughs> for shit I give you for free. <laughs> And that's the part that really burns my button. It's like, how dare you get upset about the shit I give you for fucking free? Who the fuck do you think you are? They're, 
And we talk a lot about entitlement of readers, but it is it is there's just no other word. I mean, the self entitlement is unbelievable in fandom. It's like Claire says, okay, go ahead. Let's say it's like they think that because you ever put it on the internet, um, that it's theirs to do with as they please, and then the world just doesn't work that way. Claire says, I think they're also offended that you encourage others to take ownership of their work. And fuck them. You're absolutely right, Claire. Fuck them. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't know about... You know, the thing is, is I don't see anything wrong with encouraging other writers to... Stand up for themselves? Yeah, I mean, what's wrong with Protect that? themselves? And I hate to be this way, and I do, but a lot of the abuse I've gotten in fandom comes from men. On fan lore, amongst all the things they talk about with you, because your your (laughs) blurb isn't, but they specifically call out, and I find it interesting that they specifically called out, she prefers not to see concrete of her writing. That they would call that out, to me, says how deeply embedded as an entitlement that is in fandom. I don't know who created my profile on fan lore. Um, I only read it once, and I was pissed off because they mentioned the misogyny thing, and I haven't been mm-hmm. back since. I don't care. But Whatever. It's just, I think I, I, fan lore is not certainly not... Um, I mean, I have to use fan lore as a resource for sometimes, but it's supposed to be a somewhat um, unbiased look at fandom, and that statement alone, to me, shows fandom bias. Because that you would call out something that nobody has a right to as being something you don't want, to me shows that it is so entrenched in some people's minds about fandom that they, um, that they think that that's noteworthy. Right. That you don't want concrete. Why is that noteworthy? What's more now, interesting, if you true, what, what, what you said before that, is that they have the right to offer con, um, constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. That, that they think they have the right to do that. They think they have the right to intrude on your work and comment on a way to let you know that they're not happy with something you did in your work that you're offering them for free. My eyes burning at Twitch so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, for what? Are you fucking serious? And it's not constructive. Often it's not constructive. I I work in constructive environments every day with, with other writers. Um, I belong to several writing groups where I have received some fantastic constructive um, feedback. Um, but I have never encountered it in fandom. Ever. In a comment form. Like with betas, yeah, that, that's an entire, that's me, that, that's me with another writer. But as far as like posting my work online and then getting, because um, one of the reasons why I actually have that policy is I didn't used to have that policy. And I was on fanfiction.net and you can imagine the kind of shit that I got um, for writing slash on fanfiction.net. Because um, I put Rodney in a slash relationship in my um, um, first Stargate series, Dark Places. And um, I got a lot of flack for it, and um, not once 
in any of the comments that they believed to be writing that were constructive criticism were actually constructive. Because, by the way, in case you missed it, nitpicking someone's grammar or pointing out a missing comma is not constructive criticism. That's line editing. That's not constructive criticism. And most people aren't qualified to do line editing either. <laughs> no. And they do confuse nitpicking um, typos with constructive criticism, and it's not the same thing at all. It it really isn't. And the thing is, I, I I've tried pointing out to people a couple times is like when they cause, because I put out finished work, by the time they see them, when they're nitpicking apostrophes or periods or commas or whatever, it's a lot of work to go back to something that is done, and start enter- putting in line edits. I have to edit it on um now for you 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 do you post on AO three as well? Yeah. So if you make a correction based on something somebody put on your site, you have to correct it on AO three, in your own copy and in your website. Right. And in my case my, my final copy um and your ebook. can have yeah, 'cause I can have I can have because of bizarre formatting issues with um I actually write my works in chaptered form, and I don't compile them into a final document until I am ready to post it and a finished document for the ebook. So I have the chaptered final version. I have the final version that is the compiled book. I have the final version that is formatted to post to my what to the web. I have the final version that is formatted for a PDF, and I have the final version that is formatted for an ebook. That is a ridiculous number of places to have to go back in and insert a line edit. So when something is done, it is done. I don't care. There's like one mistake. One, there's like one mistake that I would go back and do all that work for. And I'm not telling anybody what it is. <laughs> for me, it would be a name misspelling because I did do it. I, um, when I first started to get into Stargate, there was some conjecture of whether or not Miko and Dr. Kasanji were the same person. There still is. Um, and I had given her a slightly different name um, just to, because I didn't, didn't want to get into whether or not she was actually the same person or if it was two different people. Um, because she's referred to um, as Dr. Kasanji. And then there's someone named Miko also on the expedition. And the assumption is that it's the same person, um, which could be racist. <laughs> <laughs> the assumption that that Japanese name goes to that Japanese name, <laughs> there couldn't be two of them. Um, they only had one Japanese person. They they had their quota. Anyways, and I had, but eventually I got tired of people telling me I, I'd given Miko the wrong name. So I went in to correct it, which means I had to go in and correct every single part of what might have been on the website in my master copy, and in each individual file for the stories. It took me five hours. It's terrible. I don't think people realize how much. And the thing is, when you think about it, you're harassing an author for more, more, more. And then they have to go off, and they get distracted by an edit because somebody can't help themselves but point it out. And then they go and spend three, four, five hours correcting something that – was fine the way it was. 
But now it's in your head. I do have a little bit of OCD in this particular area. So when someone points out to me that I've made a mistake like that, um, I often feel compelled to fix it. And it can take between five and six hours, depending on um, my website, the formatting, if I, if, if I have an ebook for it, um, if I have a master file. Uh, and sometimes if the mistake is bad enough, not only will I do it in my final, I'll go into my rough drafts and do it too. And each of my stories has two or three rough drafts. So there were 10 stories in what might have been when I made that change. So I not only went through the finals, I went through the rough drafts of each one of those stories as well to correct that. So if, if for instance, someone told me that I had made a repeated mistake in, mistake in, in um, um, Hey Far and the Soulmate Bond, that has... 30 fucking episodes. And if it was a mistake that I made in every single episode, I would have to make changes to 30 episodes on my website. Is it 30 or 20? I think it's 30. Plus the 30, 30 copies of the individual episodes, the finals, and then the rough drafts of each one of those finals. And then my master file, will, file where I'm building an ebook you may or may not get. That's between that's probably ten ten hours of work right there to correct a problem that I could have been writing, but because there's some nitpicky asshole on my site who had to point it out to me, and I have an OCD, I I, I do have an obsessive compulsive disorder, um, I would have no choice but to fix it, which is why I don't take nitpicks because you waste my time for stuff you're getting for free. But constructive criticism and nitpicks are two entirely different things. I don't take typos and nitpicks because it wastes my time because of my OCD. I don't take constructive criticism because most people in fandom don't know how to give it and aren't qualified to anyway. As rude as that sounds. Yes, 30 episodes. You were right about the count. Uh, and the thing is, most That's 90. Ideas. That's potentially 90 files I would have to open to correct the mistake mm-hmm. in. The thing is, it's not like, I mean, if I was a whip writer where I was putting up my rough drafts, I still wouldn't want to hear it. But it wouldn't be the labor that it is. And like you, once I know about a problem, I have a really hard time not obsessing on it. And it depends upon the degree. I actually had somebody send me a whole email about a misused apostrophe. Uh-huh. That I had I had made Gibbs plural, had made it possessive in a case where it wasn't supposed to be. I mean, I've I've rarely been that angry over a nitpick, but that somebody would waste my time over um, a, an apostrophe, one apostrophe <laughs> out of two hundred and ten thousand words. Worse if is I, they tell you you did something and then they don't tell you where it is. Yeah, I would have, I would have. If I had, like, your site set up where I had membership, I would have banned them over that nitpick because it made me so angry. It made me so angry, and I have never forgotten it. But the thing, most people's idea of if it's not nitpicking grammar, most people's idea of, um, pardon that bizarre racket, um, (laughs) but most people's idea of constructive criticism is actually – uh, disagreeing with either your characterization or your plot choices. And frankly, 
even if I accepted constructive criticism, I wouldn't accept constructive criticism on those things because you don't get to make those choices. I do. And 90% of the time when people think they're giving me constructive criticism, it's some variation of Ziva wouldn't have done that or Tim wouldn't have done that. Do you think if I gave a shit about your opinion of those things, I would have written my story the way I did? No. And the the most hysterical thing is most of the things they call me on and tell me Ziva wouldn't have done, she did do. It's fact. <laughs> it it's canon. canon. So shut up. But, but you know, just, you know here's, that they, what they these are non-writers who want to insert their own version of events and characters into your work. They want to impress themselves um, and their ideas into your work because they can't write them. They can't write. They don't write. Um, either they're too lazy for it or um, they have no ability to do it. And so they just rather insert their ideas into your work and make you do it. And it's also how you end up with um, feedback on issues that absolutely did not appear in your work, but you think they did, but they think they did because they've inserted their own impressions into your work, and then they get mad at you for them. Yeah, or they get heartbroken over it, or, you know, I had somebody recently tell me they were really heartbroken of this one, something in the story, and they were never able to read it again because, and it's not anything I wrote in the story, it's what they inferred happened. Um, I, know, I know, I hate that. I fucking hate that. It's like, like I didn't write you know, that. Where'd you get it from? Oh my god, stop! Like what? <laughs> yeah, and they told me this. Like I, I love the story when I read it, but I just had never been able to read it again because, um, you know, I just, I just know that this character, you know, w- was miserable and dead for the rest of their lives emotionally. I'm like, what? 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 No, they weren't. For starters, I didn't, that character was like so incidental to the storyline that I don't even know why they're who you're focusing on. But that actually isn't my headcanon for what happened with that character. And we, where'd they get that from? They just in, they just inferred this, and then it ruined the story for them, and they felt the need to tell me about it. Um, you know, whatever. Um, also, constructive criticism seems to come in the form of, in their minds, constructive criticism is, I'm not going to read this story because. <laughs> well, okay, here are the reasons why I'm not going to read this story, because I don't, you know, I think that this, you know, the way you characterize McGee or Ziva or whatever, or a Snape or Ron or whoever it is, is not consistent with what we see in canon, and so I'm not going to read, you know, anything that you write in Harry Potter or NCIS or whatever. It's like, um, oh, gee, someone passed me a tissue. I feel sad. <laughs> now, um, Zans, um, Xander asked in the... Um the chat room, don't you think that some of them just want to make a connection with someone who they admire? Um, sometimes I think that's possible, but usually that comes in a um, in a um, in a different way. It's just my experience where I see that people who want to make a connection with me um, tend to ask me questions, very leading questions that would if depending on how I respond could end up in um, big discussions. Um, So I'm careful how I answer those questions. Um, 
depending on how interesting I find the question, whether or not I want to have any kind of debate on the particular issue or if I think they're actually paying attention to the answer. But a lot of times people just want to insert their own ideas into your work, uh, not because they admire you, but because they think they should have that right to do so. I'm not sure I articulated that quite right. No, I understood what you meant. It goes back to that participation in fandom. They just think that's the way they participate in fandom, and how dare you not give them the ability to do that. Maybe they want to be seen as having been valuable to you at some point. I don't know. I don't know that that's so much a connection as maybe this person will be grateful that I – that's probably the most generous um, interpretation I can put on it is maybe the the author will be grateful that I did this for them, pointed out this flaw, and you know pretty much nobody who you know n- nobody who is not close to me understands the kind of thing I'd want pointed out um, and it is never an apostrophe or a comma or even a typo or this one of the things that I do bizarrely, especially when I'm, I write a lot when I'm tired write a lot when I'm very tired. I don't know why my creative brain seems to work better when I'm tired, but it just seems to kind of kick in. And one of the things I do when I'm tired is I leave words out. And I double words, especially articles and conjunctions. And so my rough draft will often be littered with two, two, and, and, or no two and no and. <laughs> and I then have to go in and fix that. The problem is, is those are the words that the brain sees automatically. So they're very yeah. hard for me to spot. Um, so it's not uncommon that even, even beta readers sometimes don't see that because their brain expects those words to be there and they don't notice them. Anyway, the point of that is, is that that's the most likely thing to slip through in terms of typos with me as a double word or a missing um, conjunction or a missing article, and I still don't even care about those. I don't care. No, no, no. I don't. I, it's just, to me, that's a typo. True typos, I don't really care about. Honestly, that kind of intrusion into the work um, is more damaging, I think, to to writers, especially writers who are insecure or not as confident of their abilities than outright abuse because it's undermining and it's precariously close to gaslighting um, mm-hmm. because you're, you're eroding their confidence um, with this and all you're really doing is cheating yourself because writers get better. So if you encounter a writer her ideas are great, but she's a little rough, and you think you want to give her some feedback that she's not asking for, don't. You're not helping her. You're just eroding her confidence or his confidence. Um, and when you do that, they're more likely to not post again in the future, so you're not going to see their work get better and better and better because she's not going to be there anymore because you nitpicked her to death. Not literally, but you know what I mean. And then you miss out on great stuff. If you think someone's got great ideas and you enjoy what they're writing, and you're just, it's just, now some things aren't readable. You know, um, a 3,000 3, character block, 3,000 word block of text is very, very hard to read. 
Um, but so what? Move on. They'll learn. They'll get better. They'll figure it but out. They won't. And if and when they but figure they won't it out, they might be them read. And you don't, you right. don't let them write. They're not gonna learn. And maybe they'll be motivated to go back and fix it later. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just go, eh, it was a learning experience and move on. But whatever is if you like it, just go with it. But nitpicking, just – and the funny thing is I know – now the thing is I know there are authors that say, let me know if you see any mistakes. And all I can say is they're basically letting their, beta, their readership beta for them. Um but that can sets, be dangerous it, and even abusive. It very, and it sets up a you know it sets up a bad precedent in their readers for later on when they don't want that anymore, or when they get tired of it, or when they feel like they're being pulled in a thousand different directions. I I would advise a writer to just say, uh, "There are mistakes. Live with it." <laughs> but then that Not goes back ever. to people. Um, resenting me for encouraging other writers to to not tolerate that kind of behavior in fandom. Mhm. And uh, you know what? And I'm going to say this, and it's ugly and rude, but I don't care. If your only participation in fandom is critiquing other critiquing writers and tearing their work apart, you're not contributing to fandom in a very positive way. You're an asshole. <laughs> and frankly, your your um your 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 participation in fandom isn't really wanted. If you can't just be a reader, just go away. That's I become my pet peeve this week. Constructive criticism where a man in his fifties told me a sixteen-year-old girl wouldn't work the way, wouldn't react the way I wrote her, and it happened in *Harry and a Soulmate Bond*. It was Hermione, and I'm like, motherfucker, how'd you know? Have um, you ever been a sixteen-year-old girl? Fuck you! What do you? What, what could you possibly know about that? <laughs> yeah, really. What could they know about it? <laughs> I just. Oh God, you dumbass! I, it was just—it was the most. It was—I was like, really? <laughs> but I'm gonna be perfectly honest. I find the Harry Hermione shippers in Harry Potter fandom, especially the old—this is terrible. This is terrible. But there are a lot of um, older men who fetishize, uh, fetishize the fetish. Fetishize. You had it right. Emma Watson, and I hate them. I hate them on my site. I hate them reading and creeping on her on my site. I fucking hate it. <laughs> and that's where most of the abuse from Zara Azkaban comes from. Creepy old men who um, are creeping on Emma Watson, who read that Harry Hermione stuff, and... Um, want to insert themselves in the role of Harry Potter um, for the express purposes of fucking Emma Watson. Was that too blunt? No. 
And they creep me out, okay? They creep me out. So I don't respond well to them, and that's why they all hate me. And they can go kiss my ass. But not literally, fuckers, because I don't want you trying to fetishize me either. <laughs> yeah, I um, actually am going to insert homosexual sex into all of my head stories from now on just to get rid of them. Um, Xander says in the chat room that the thing about most HP readers is that they are so damned homophobic. And it makes people just want to put as much gay sex as I possibly can, and even in my het stories. Which is why all that, um, um, why I put that stuff I put in Harry Potter and a soulmate bond, um, um, Sirius's relationship with men, and, um, Hermione and the ass play. And because... Um, I, you know what? I had no more posted that particular episode where Hermione rimmed Harry. This just got really explicit. Um, I really hope you guys pay attention to my warnings as far as the ratings go. Um, and he, um, and I had a reader almost immediately respond and tell me I was disgusting. And that no woman would do that. I'm like, dude, you don't know the right women. <laughs> I don't even know what kind of woman you're dating, but you don't know the right ones. <laughs> hey, man, if you're going to news, air your... I got news for you guys and for, for them if they're listening. Hermione's totally going to peg Harry in that story. That is totally going to happen. <laughs> Yay. Yes, they told me I should warn for rimming in any sort of ass play so they could skip it. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, actually, that's one of the, that's one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy is when you can tell when an author has um, gotten pressure from their readership about their whatever their sex or kink is that they're writing because they'll offset it with a little warning, like, you know, dot, 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 you know, rimming starts here, dot, 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 and then a little further oh down, my dot, God. dot, dot, dot. rimming ends here. That actually is a sign for help. You need to call the authorities because I'm being held hostage <laughs> by one of those creeps who's making me mark that shit off in my fanfic. Oh. If somebody doesn't want to read your story the way it is, they can just go read something. You know, there are millions and millions of fans. There's like a million Harry Potter fan words alone. There's the millions thing is, of things you can read. They don't want to read that. They want you to read your story. They want to read my story their way. And they want to. That's why they intrude with such a criticism that you didn't ask for. It's not actually such a criticism, but it's more like orders on how they want you to write something instead. Um, it's because they want to... Um, okay. There are different levels of skill in every writing, in, in, in every fandom. And there are different levels of explicit material in every fandom. And I tend to write very explicit sex. And that honestly isn't something you encounter very often in Harry Hermione fic. Because um, I've read a lot of Harry Hermione fic. And I was really surprised by how little erotica there actually is for that pairing. 
there's more erotica for Harry and Draco than there is Harry and Hermione in the fandom. Um, and, and I think it comes in from the fact that Slash writers are just, as a rule, more explicit. Um, <laughs> Lady Holder says in the chat room that she got told she was totally filthy when she went pro. And um, that's true. Um, I was told um, by my editor um, for Fall for You that my sex scenes were extremely explicit. And one of my editors asked me if I wanted to tone it down. And I said, no, that's what they expect. <laughs> that's for my readers. Like, they know what they're getting. <laughs> Like, if I wanted to tone it down, I wouldn't have written it that way. What kind of question is that? <laughs> but. There is just, um, there's there's a lot of Harry Draco fanfic in, in fandom, and it is very explicit, but there's not a lot of at-length, um, with some skill, written erotica for Harry and Hermione and in that respect um, authors and uh, authors like me and others have filled a hole in that fandom and the few authors who do it are kind of bombarded by Harry Hermione shippers who want this 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 you know yeah do my thing because they haven't had it so far. I mean, yes, there are some really great Harry Hermione stories out there, but they're not especially explicit. But when you're reading a whole bunch of those fics, like you're reading um, Harry Potter and the Manipulator of Destiny, which is really fucking awesome, or you're reading A Sunset Over Britain, um, you're not getting that explicit content um, like I write, like the erotica. So if, if you come out with one of those really great stories, but there's no sex in it, and then you find a good story that has that has a whole holy shit. Look at all this hot sex in it, and they're like they don't even know what to do with themselves. So I can see where the popularity for that came from in the Harry Potter fandom. And if I'd have thought about it, I might have toned down the sex in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. Um, and that's one reason why when I wrote. Uh, uh, courting, um, um, courting Hermione, there was never going to be a lot of sex in it. And then when I wrote the one sex scene, it, it just didn't fit because I'd made it so not sexual and all romantic. And I think that, like, in my head, that was some kind of, like, backlash to all those readers that came flooding into my site to, to, um, to read the Harry Hermione porn that they, I felt kind of devalued. Yeah, because they treated, you know, an epic story um, like it was um, masturbation. You know, well, yeah, like it was like it was a like it was a two dollar ninety nine cent porno mag. And it was like all you have to say to me after, you know, hundreds of thousands of words is um, why did you have Hermione? Why did you have Hermione Rim Harry? That's it. That's all you got. I'm let me give you a workout for um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. Um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond season one is three three hundred eighty six thousand words. Yeah, I thought it was close to four hundred thousand. Yeah, and um, 
I was if you walk if you walk away from that with nothing but sex you liked or didn't like on your brain, um, I, you know, I just I don't really have any time or or interest in you at all. <laughs> it was very insulting for you know for me to see comments on um other sites, um, oh uh, here read this it's really really hot, and explicit. Oh, but watch out because there's a gay relationship in it. That There's you about to be butt sex on every damn page. <laughs> <laughs> I was tempted to put a Harry Potter book out, the, the Harry Potter and Soulmate Bond ebook out, and just like insert random gay sex scenes with Sirius and whatever male character was around. <laughs> or, you know, really explicit gifts that were moving, you know, from porn. Um, I didn't, and I think that might be illegal. But. I didn't, I, well, it would be free. So I'm not going to be making money off of it. It would just be trolling. But still, um, it was it was just really, really insulting that they that they reduced my whole that that whole very large amount of work to masturbation material. Well, I actually, you know, oh, thank you, Dawn. I struggle with it's not, um, um, it's not, um, it's not bad per se, but it is hard when you have written any story where you were focusing on plot and the only comment is, "Gee, that was hot." I don't mind being told that my work is hot. I mean, I know that actually, I, I think. Um, Across the board, if, if if I look at myself critically as a writer, that I have two things that really work for me um, as a writer, and that is my dialogue and my sex scenes. I know those are standout skills for me, um, so I don't mind being told that my work is hot, but I do mind when it's the only thing you point out. Yeah, that's the hard part. Is I don't, you know, is when you, your work is distilled down to nothing but. Um, like you said, masturbation fodder. It's like, okay, um, geez, or a snippet, hundred thousand words. Yeah, or a snippet. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> everything Sorry. I've written, because everything I've written this year has been snippeted. Uh, <laughs> it, the two things. It seems like this year, the two things. You know, my pet peeves seem to kind of change with the, the movement of fandom and how they're responding to me. But this year it has been calling anything I write a snippet. Um, Cause I've, you know, I've only written one story that could um, arguably be called a snippet. And actually I think anything over 500 words is not a snippet, but anyway, but if the work is complete, it's not a snippet by definition, but whatever. But um, it's a snippet and people notify me why they're not going to read something. Um <sighs> I hate that. A, I don't care if you don't read my shit. I really do not care. <laughs> it's a particular pet peeve of mine. And, you know, people feel like one of my stories, I knew one of the stories I'm doing for Rough Trade in July is going to be a little bit controversial because of people's religious beliefs. And I decided to be polite about it and just go, look, if you're sensitive about religion, you probably don't want to read this. Because, honestly, I don't care about people's religious sensitivities. But if it's something that's sensitive for you, give this a pass. And the very first comment was someone thanking me for the warning because they probably didn't give it a pass, but good luck. Like, I give a flying fuck. <laughs> there was no purpose. There was no purpose to that comment other than to let what, me know that they weren't going to read the story. What it is, is self-centered. They wanted to point out that 
your premise had um, taken away from their experience as a reader. Because one of the first comments I got on um, the first part of Ties That Bind was, and I'm never going to forget it, even though I've actually forgotten who said it. I can look it up, though. I, I, I did write it down in my email as a note. Um, well, I'm not reading this shit. It's like, gee, thanks. <laughs> Let me run right out and care about that. Oh, wait. I do know who said it. That's really funny because um, – Oh, my God, that is really funny, because you just kind of popped into my head who said it. That person actually did end up reading Ties That Bind. But a lot of people have expectations um, and um, prejudice against BDSM, and they make assumptions about it um, that are completely untrue. And that's because there's a lot of badly written BDSM out there. And But I took great pains with Ties That Bind to avoid humiliation, um, to avoid abusive practices, to... Um, I didn't highlight um, BDSM practices that I think are inclined to be used incorrectly. Like I did not do a scene with um, sounding because a lot of people get hurt doing sounding because they don't know how to do it. So I avoided it altogether so as not to encourage people to do that. Um, I didn't um, put any uh, stranger BDSM encounters in the series at all for any of the characters because that's a very dangerous um, situation. People put themselves in in reality, and I didn't want to encourage that. Um, I made John a very safe, safe top to highlight how important that is. Um, and it wasn't so much about John as the character, but as my desire to make sure that you know what a dom should be versus what they, what you might accidentally come across in the scene if you're not being careful. Um, so I was actually very careful in my construction of ties that Bond talk about safe words and um, safe play. And still, people treated me like I, I wrote a slave AU. Only people seem to enjoy slave AUs. Sorry. Fucking weirdos. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? I mean, I took great pains to not only make each one of the expedition, um, the exhibitions original and different from... The, um, each one is different, but they also each display a, a, a different part of both Rodney's dynamic and John's. I put more plot effort into ties that bind and especially the exhibition scenes than I have any other work I have on my site. And still people treated me like I had written some kind of gross abusive slave AU. But I didn't get the gross abusive slave AU fandom because they, they liked that shit, but I didn't write that shit and they knew it. <laughs> So, small perk is that they didn't come out for you <laughs> to check it <laughs> that, out yeah, that, yeah, and say, yeah. because you can go, hey, gee, there's too much consent in this story. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you put all this consent in here? They don't need safe words. Public service announcement. If you're ever in a situation where you feel comfortable enough to submit to another person and that person tells you you don't need a safe word, put your fucking clothes on and leave. Alternatively, if you're ever in a situation where someone offers to submit to you and they tell you they don't need a safe word, tell that bitch to put her clothes back on and go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so fucking serious. 
you know, in um in emergence I decided to play with the um alpha beta omega thing. And I'm doing it again in an upcoming story, different whole different thing. But it requires a lot of effort for me to craft the world building around one of those kinds of stories because I have to redo it in a way that gets rid of all of those little consent problems, which is why I won't read most ABO stories. Um, I had that same problem. I had mine shelved but I, I couldn't um, – I felt like I hadn't accomplished it. Maybe I'll let Julie read it and she can help me out. I, I, I think that's before you came along. I think it was because I'm not familiar with this story. Yeah, I'll, but, I'll pass it your way. So, you know, my new one um, is going to be throwing away a lot of um, Omega tropes um, because I find that they are inherently problematic. Um, For instance, one of the things I'm doing is that only Omegas who are mated have heats because the whole issue about... Oh, I love that. Um, so, you, you know, omegas do have heat, but they only, you can have it. Um, omegas <laughs> have heat, but they only do it once they're mated because um, I find the whole idea of um, it's very sketchy to get around somebody who can, um, as much as you try to write in consent. Um, consent, it's very difficult when someone inherently eventually goes out of their head. Um and things can change. Well, what if they can't, you know, you, there's always that, you know, you always inherently are going to have problems with the outlier who couldn't get into the right circumstances to protect themselves during their heat, and then what? And whether you address it or not, it's inherent when you have the mindless heat thing. So I'm throwing that out. Um, and, you know, so I just have to, but, you know, that kind of stuff takes a lot of work. And so it's it's really, you know, so I, I know the kind of, um, um struggle that, that, you know, making sure that when you're addressing some of these kinds of tropes, like when, you know, when you're dealing with BDSM or whatever, that you make sure you address these things and you put a lot of effort into it. And then when someone comes in and doesn't even read it or comes in and tells you that, you know, they don't, that all your work was for nothing, that there's still inherent consent issues and they kind of hate on you for it. And it's like, come on. I'm going to go on record and say right now there is not one single seen in ties that bind with dubious sexual content. Um, every single time somebody has sex in ties that bind, it is fully consensual. Is it kinky? Yes. Is there somebody in the story who's capable of rape? Absolutely. Does he do it on my time? No, he does not. And he's grossly punished for even threatening it. Mm-hmm. He's maimed for life for even threatening to do it. Um, and, but I do understand that whole thing. And the other thing about the ABO is I think it's actually, um, I'm not sure what the original author intended, and I'm not even sure who the original author of that concept is, but it's like inherently, the consent issues are inherent to the whole idea it really is it really is a problem and so when you get an idea you're like I want to work with this but I have to kind of start ground up and work on the consent problems and strip them out um, you know because and what I'm working on is that uh, Omega is not it's just a different gender so I'm working on a shifter idea where there are four different genders and um, 
Omega is one gender, and it has different set of, you know, variables and rules that go along with it, and it's not like there are male Omegas and female Omegas. Omega is a gender by itself, one distinct gender. And, um, you know, so I'm just putting in a lot of different world building around it so that I, because it just, and I actually didn't have to call it Omega. It just happened to be the what you know, what I felt like worked the best. Because um, the Omegas have a lot of power. And um, I believe the meaning of the word Omega is actually has a lot to do with um, the meaning of it is, um, it means great. So when I was looking at what the meaning of the other words were in the in the Greek alphabet, um, since the omegas have the most literal power, uh, I decided that I would stick with omega because of what the word means. But um, I'm throwing a lot of the tropes out because I don't want to have to deal with them. Uh, I don't. I have actually no interest in writing um, that kind of uh, glorified rape fic. Oh, sorry. Yeah. There you go. But, you know, I worked really hard at that at Emergence, too. I just did it in a different way. Um, and I still got people writing me telling me that I had written 200,000 words of glorified rape. So, I've never had know. someone call um, ties it by glorified rape, but I have had somebody call it glorified domestic abuse. And I wrote yeah. back and I told them, I said, I'm sorry that your husband never spanked your ass right. <laughs> Which I know was ugly, okay? But she had no business emailing me that shit. It's not my fault your husband doesn't know how to spank that ass, okay? It's not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing is, I'm not sure that people assholes even read the the story. They just, um, they come across it and they want to abuse you for offending their sensibilities. Yeah, this is sort of like the new frontier of people writing you um, to tell you. You know, it used to be when you when uh, when Slash came out of the closet, so to speak, and um, people just took great great pleasure in writing you, telling you you were going to hell. Um, I haven't had that in so long; I can barely remember it. But this is like the new frontier, right? It's like the new frontier of people finding ways to tell you that um, something is wrong with you and with your writing. If they're going to tell you that BDSM is abuse, and they just whether they read your stuff or not, they feel like that they have to um, have to convey that to you that you absolutely need to know it, um, and then it's going to change your opinion about it. It's just bizarre. But it does feel like the the next iteration of you're going to hell is this is abused or that's rape or, you know. And I don't see these people out there telling people who actually have rape sticks that this is rape. <laughs> it's like, come on. I don't, I don't know. It just – it could boil back to um, – all of it could boil back to the desire to um, – Interact with uh, with each other, and um, I think some people. I'm not articulating this really well. Um, it, they're deeply threatened by certain concepts and ideas, and rather than um, uh, allow themselves to grow. They instead uh, lash out.
And it's not. Um, what? Well, I was going to say. I was going to say. It's, yeah, because somebody said that their fic was popular, so it wasn't rape. This is sort so, of the same kind of. Ties that bond is popular, so it's not BDSM. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. But that's the same kind of rationale you get from people who go, um, it's not rape if somebody gets turned, if the guy gets turned on, right? So a lot of, a lot, I, I have run, kind of run across more than one story that didn't tag itself as being rape, where it was um, a man who who was drugged or whatever, and um, forced into sex without his consent, and the author, when they're challenged on it, because they inevitably get challenged on it. Uh, their response in the author notes is that um, it's not right because he got hard on. And that kind of antiquated thinking is just obscene. It's disgusting. It really is. Um, there was a uh, there's a group on Facebook that we belong to called Plot Bunnies or Bunny Farm or whatever. Um, bunny Farm or something like bunny that. Bunny Farm. Something farm bunnies, farm bunnies. Maybe okay. Get it eventually. And um, someone in it posted a story idea. And farm bunnies is where you go to just drop your story ideas off that you that you're not going to write, or you want somebody else to write for you because you don't have you don't you're not actually a writer. I mean, you know, it's not required. It's just where you. It's a farm bunny. It's a bunny drop off for plot bunnies. Anyways, and she posted this idea about Darcy using magic to seduce Thor. And she had this whole big plot idea, and I posted on it. I commented on it. I said, you need to put a rape warning at the top of this. And she says, it's not rape. I said, so Darcy uses magic to force Thor to fuck her, but it's not rape. She's not raping him. She deleted it after that. But a lot of women make the assumption that men can't be raped, and that's just really fucking ugly. Whether the rapist is a man or a woman, it is absolutely possible for a man to be sexually assaulted and raped by a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways. Yeah, uh, uh, Xander points out that... Uh, that people do this a lot in Harry Potter where they don't seem to twig into the fact that love potions are, are, are a form of rape. It's not even mentioned in canon when Romelda, 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 I'm not sure how you say her name. I didn't actually watch the movies. Um, Romelda Vane tries to potion Harry, but accidentally potions Ron instead. And he runs around telling everybody he loves her. Now, he never has any interaction with her. But if he had any kind of physical interaction with her, um, it would have been sexual assault as far as I'm concerned. If it was just a kiss, it would have been sexual assault because he wouldn't have done it if he hadn't been potioned. We're down to 45 seconds. Um, for a show that had no topic, I think it went okay. We found topics. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you later. You guys have a great week. We are four days from RT. Rest your fingers. Get ready to go. <laughs> good night. Say good night. night, everyone. Good night. Shut up and sit down.